She Loves Herself with Jill Ritchie, showing you how to embrace vulnerability and unearth your power within. Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of She Loves Herself, the podcast. Happy Friday! I hope you've all had a really great week. Um, I have had such a great week. I was in London um, on Tuesday and Wednesday and um, I met up with some friends and just had so much fun. I don't know, it's just so nice to, you know, be somewhere different and chatting to, to, to different people and just taking in different energies. It was so much fun. I got this lovely little apartment um, right in Covent Garden. So I was so central and I just had lots and lots of fun. Um, so I'm recording this on Thursday night after I've just finished doing the Empowered Women call. And we are on week nine of 10, so we finish next week. Um, I am going to be enrolling for this again starting in January. So if you are interested in joining the next Empowered Women um, programme, which is 10 weeks with me, um, it's a real deep dive. It's lots of amazing work. So if you are interested in working with me on a much closer and deeper level, then drop me an email. I'll put my link below the show notes, um, but it is hello at jill-ritchie.com and just let me know if you are interested in joining the next Empowered Women. Numbers are limited. Um, there's normally, I usually just take a, probably a maximum of six people through it. So yeah, so that's going to be coming in the new year. Um, but let's move on. Let's talk about our guest for today we have an absolute legend so my goodness when I reached out to Irene to ask her to come on the podcast she was honestly on my dream list because let me just tell you a little bit about Irene Lyon Irene Lyon is a nervous system specialist and somatic neuroplasticity expert so anyone that's ever worked with me one-to-one will know about somatic work because you've either done it or we've discussed it um, and she is also known by my coach and mentor, by the way, as the queen of trauma. She's epic. I was introduced to her work through my coach and mentor, who I've worked with for four years, and I, she's just incredible herself. So for her to call Irene the queen of trauma, I'm like in awe of her and the work that she does. Um, I'm dropping her links in the show notes because I know that you guys are going to want to connect with her. Um, so all of her details are, are in the show notes, but you can also go give her a follow um, on Instagram. And her YouTube channel is amazing. So much amazing free content. And we've got her here. And today in this episode, we... I absolutely loved recording this episode because it felt like, and it, it's not that I don't love recording any other episode, but I just clicked with her the second she came on. Intuitively, we just really connected and clicked. And she actually said that she'd love to come back on. I'm like, yes, of course. Um, you guys are going to love this episode. We talk about neuroplasticity. We talk about um, somatic work. We talk about different levels of trauma, how we can start to, understand our own trauma and navigate it through our body yeah it's it's a brilliant episode guys and yeah it's fan bloody tastic so let me know your thoughts if you're not following me on instagram remember it's the new instagram page um at she loves herself pod 
So go give us a follow on there because you can see like exclusive video footage of all of my guests on there too. So whatever you're doing, guys, have an amazing week and enjoy this episode. Let's go in. She Loves Herself with Jill Ritchie. So welcome to She Loves Herself, Irene Lyon. Hello. Hello. Oh my goodness. Hi, hi. I'm so excited. Yes, our new (laughs) friend. We were just literally came on and we've just had a five minute chat before we got started. And I said, we need to start recording now because I'm going to be talking to you for the next 40 minutes and we won't have captured any of the juice that we're going to talk about. Um, And Irene, complete transparency. I never really prepare for these conversations because I like them to flow organically. um, And usually, touch wood, yeah, yeah. That works really, really well rather than trying to me trying to think of different things to ask you. We'll sort of just flow if that mm-hmm. feels okay for you. 100%, 100%. Amazing. So, Irene, for the listeners who have never heard of you before, I'm going to just share how I started to connect with your incredible work. So everyone that listens to this podcast knows that I started really working on my own trauma and my own um, healing journey and almost rediscovery of getting to know myself on a real deep, deep, deep level and starting to really fall in love with myself, particularly in... I would say the last 18 months, I've started to open up and really crack open a part of me that I tried to crack open um, on numerous occasions over the past four years, but the nervous system, it just wasn't really letting me go there. However, particularly in um, in 2021, um, I've done some real, real deep work. It's been a bit like Dark Night of the Soul, to be honest. And I came across your work through an amazing coach that I've worked with for four years. And I've also been training, as well as her being my coach, for the last four years. There's real trust there. And I have been training with her for the last sort of nine months um, and really working around intuitive coaching and, and trauma. And so she referred to you, Irene, as the queen of trauma. And for her to say that, I'm like, oh my goodness. And she shared a lot of your work with us and gave you full, you know, full credit for everything, you know, that she's really learned from you, which is just amazing. Um, But for everyone who doesn't know you, can you just give us a a little brief about who you are and how you got on this journey? Mm, Okay. Thank you for that history. So, so (laughs) cool. Um, So as you said, Jill, it wasn't until you got into the nervous system work, right? That Mm -hmm. cracked open (laughs) the stuff that was hiding in the, the treasure chest, so to speak of your body and your biology. And I didn't, you know, what I do now isn't something that lots of people do. You know, I do have colleagues. Most of them are um, new to the work or they're my mentors. And there's, you know, people in my age bracket that do nervous system work, um, trauma healing work at the somatic level. So that's, that's one of the biggest differentiating factors is a lot of people, when they hear the word trauma, they think therapist, Mm -hmm. um, sitting down, talking to a, a psychiatrist, maybe medication, um, PTSD from being in war, you know, which is a real thing. And Mm -hmm. and lots of people are suffering from that and living with that. 
Um, but I got I got into this work in many ways. So the quick history is um, I started studying exercise science, um, <clears throat> nutrition, health in my 20s in university. I did two university degrees, uh, master's level science, um, really liked it. Uh, could have definitely gone on the path of being a professor, academic, um, was just thinking about that the other night, actually, um, thinking, wow, what would have been my life like if I had stayed in that university in Australia? Mm -hmm. Actually, I was doing my work there, um, but I didn't like it. I didn't like the science world, to be honest, in the way that they did research. It was just too, too much politics, you know, too much backstabbing. It, it was just like, wow, this is how we create our our regulations for health. This isn't very good. So I didn't like it. Um, and so I was recovering from an injury, a really bad injury, actually. I had broken my kneecap, so my patella, right in half by walking down some stairs. I didn't fall. It was a spontaneous fracture of my left kneecap due to another complication from another surgery. It's a long story. Yeah. And um, that was to this day is still probably the most painful thing I've ever, ever experienced in my life. Um, and then I had to get surgery to repair that. And then I went into the rehabilitation process to build up the muscle and the joint and just relearn how to walk. But all the stuff I had done, because I was studying fitness and and exercise rehabilitation for almost 10 years, everything that I learned in university wasn't working. Wow. Mm. And so it was actually in Australia where my physical therapist said, I don't know what is wrong, but you're doing everything right. And you're strong. Like I was strong. I was fit. I was you know, symmetrical, but the internal parts were just twisted mm. and in compensation. And so he suggested I work with another colleague of his who um, worked with something called the Feldenkrais method. Now, not many people know what that is, but it's a very, uh, it's kind of like Pilates. It's not Pilates, but yeah. Feldenkrais is the name of a person who invented this form of work. And Moshe Feldenkrais died quite a while ago um, but he was the kind of the inventor, if you will, of uh, neuroplasticity, mm. working with the body. And I know that's a large statement, but some of the high level doctors and neurologists now will say, yep, he was one of the first people to realize that we could change our nervous system and brain, even after something severe like stroke. Yeah. Or something like cerebral palsy, where we just think a child is doomed to be yeah. crippled for the rest of their life. And it's not true. Mm -hmm. um, and so that work I got into in Australia, totally fell in love with it. It healed me in a matter of four weeks, which was insane. And so I got a little sparked. I'm like, okay, I have to learn this. So I did. I'm really fast forwarding now. So I learned that work, became a practitioner, started practicing. I'm back in Canada now when I was doing that. That was in 2005-ish. And in 2008, this is where the trauma stuff slid in. So mm -hmm. I was working with people, um, doing really good work with some, with chronic pain, back pain, injuries, um, tension, all these things. But there was a summer where there was like four people, Jill, whom 
seemed like I could work with them and help them, but I couldn't. And so I was applying everything I knew from this wonderful form of neuroplasticity work, Feldenkrais. And it's not because that methodology isn't good. It's that their system was another level at another level of confusion, Mm -hmm. at another level of chaos. And um, to give you an example, one woman had been in a propane explosion. So she was recovering from third degree burns and Mm -hmm. the the pain of that, which apparently is one of the more painful things to recover from. Um, One gentleman had um, fallen off of a cliff. He worked on the mountains where I was living. And even though he uh, didn't break any bones, he wasn't concussed. A year later, he was still in a lot of pain, but there was no reason for that pain. Uh, another woman um, was experiencing severe frozen shoulder. I don't know if you know what that is. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So frozen shoulder that <clears throat> we could talk about her story if, if you want a, a little bit, but nobody could figure out what was going on with mm-hmm. her, her shoulders. Everyone's trying to manipulate the, the joint and massage and acupuncture and all this and nothing was working. And so these people were in my office. I'm like, what's going on? And so what happened was I inquired with some of my mentors. I'm like, what's, what am I missing? I'm missing something. And it was the somatic trauma piece. And then that's when I, that would have been in 2008. I came across the work of Peter Levine, who was founder of somatic experiencing. Peter's still alive. He's, you know, he's in his seventies now. Um, But he, really uncovered in the late 60s um, when he was doing his doctoral work at UC Berkeley um, in California that animals in the wild tend to not get post-traumatic stress when they're under massive strain and stress. Um, Whereas humans, when we're under massive strain and stress, not everyone, but many people do get PTSD to the point where they're debilitated with chronic symptoms and, and, and illness. And so he kind of just went down that rabbit hole and through trial and error. And he, at the time he was studying, you know, mystical stuff and body work, like Rolfing, um, meditation, mm-hmm. uh, working with the breath, even though that wasn't something that he implemented into his work, but he was just trying to figure it out. And he started to, like you would as a mad, crazy scientist, go to the laboratory of working with people and what started experimenting. And, you know, the early days weren't probably very easy for him because he was, he was doing witch, witch work, you know, Mm -hmm. like it wasn't something that you did because the pharmaceutical and the, the talk therapy and the very kind of young and Freudian way of working with the psychology was quite set in those days. And so he was taking some of the work of Reich and a few other more body-based people and being like, no, this isn't just in the brain. This is in the physiology. For sure. This is in the biology. It's in the cells. And as I learn more, it's in the fascia, it's in the yeah. bone, it's mm-hmm. in the guts, it's in our, I mean, I believe in soul. It's in the soul. It's in the, it's in the past life. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's like, it's all there. And so I fell in love with that work and just really didn't look back um, for quite a few years and then started my own private practice or continued my practice, but I blended this in. And within f- three years, Jill, 
all I was doing was the somatic experiencing work because, and it wasn't that I didn't love the Feldenkrais work. I love it still. And I, I, I continue to do it myself, but it is a much more sophisticated form of learning the Feldenkrais work. And just like you can't, uh, recite Shakespeare at the beginning of talking when you're one years old, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, you can't start these more advanced neurological practices mm. when your system is living in terror and stress and mm. something that we would call freeze, yeah. um, which is a, which is very common mm. um, in the world, in the Western world, and especially in countries that are, we could say more commonwealth. Yeah, for sure. And you've, you've, I mean, obviously your YouTube channel, I mean, I've watched so many of your videos mm-hmm. around this and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And everything that you're saying just now, I mean, I've talked about this in the podcast before around somatic work and um, navigating your way through it. And, and, and I think it can, even you said back then when Peter Levine, I remember reading his book about three and a half years ago yeah. um, and it blew my mind and my coach took me through my first sort of somatic experience yeah um, and I knew it was there I was ready my body was ready for it yeah yeah um, and the mind what we often find is the mind tries to you know oh make meaning out of it so what's yeah, this what's that it. oh my yeah. goodness but for anyone that is looking at, at at this, it does take time, you know. And it, sometimes when we go into to do this, often the nervous system, you know, or the body will only let you do so much. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about that safety and building it up. But mm-hmm. actually, the more that we can, you talked about the breath as well. The more that we can go in and cultivate just even simple breath work and trust within the body rather than the mind and really coming out of the mind and dropping into the body and and connecting with the heart, really closing the eyes down and really breathing into the heart. The more that we can do that actually very quickly Mm -hmm. and over a matter of days or weeks, you know, very quickly that we start to build that trust muscle between, you know, the body. Yeah, Yeah. it's that trust in it. We start to get those insights and the body starts to, you know, the nervous system starts to feel more safer to go in to work on that trauma. The problem we have, Irene, is the mind, right? The mind's like, whoa, let's make a story out of this. You know, let's talk, let's take you on this journey. Um, And do you think then, or do you feel that everyone... Everyone has trauma. I know there's different levels, which I would love to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. You feel that every one of us have a level of trauma. I haven't met anyone that doesn't yet. Mm-hmm. And I've met a lot of people. Yeah. You know, too. there might, there is no doubt someone in a tribe somewhere where they haven't seen television or been influenced by the, you know, let's call it the West or more Mm -hmm. industry. Um, But no, the moment we domesticated plants and animals 10,000 years ago, like this goes back. This isn't just post world war one, two great depression ancestry that we might know because our great grandparents lived through the early 1900s, which mine did. And I'm sure maybe yours did too. Mm -hmm. 
Um, this is like, this goes back. So as soon as we started to domesticate plants and animals, while that isn't my specialty, I understand enough to know we stopped being nomadic with the land. We had to, we penned animals in a spot. We stayed in one spot. We, we stopped that biodiversity of, of how things are meant to grow and how the animals are meant to be with the land. It, it got very parceled, right? I mean, that's why we call it a parcel of land. Um, and then the industry, you know, the industrial revolution came along, obviously the agricultural revolution, um, electricity, uh, all the things that took us out of the natural world. Now, I like living in a home with electricity mm-hmm. and hot water that comes out of the tap. When you watch some of these old shows that are set in like the 1700s, it's terrible in terms of the conditions, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, if you think of that, even the conditions that our ancestors would have lived through. Um, some of mine were in Ireland. My mother's side was the Philippines. I mean, it was harsh conditions. So, yeah. you know, I can tell you right now, my parents, and I'm sure your parents, I'm making an assumption, and most of the parents here weren't talking about this stuff when they were, I'm in my mid-40s. Me too. You just, it wasn't, it's not that it didn't, they didn't want it. It just, it it wasn't known yet. This level of understanding of how the human system works. So what I often hear from my students is, oh my God, how come we haven't known about this. I'm a lot of people get ang- angry and for good reason. Cause they're in their seventies, for example, mm-hmm. and they've been unwell their whole lives. And then they come across this and there's a bit of, gr- there's joy, but there's also grief mm-hmm. because they realize they've lived their whole lives in this survival stress mode. And that's why they've struggled with relationship yeah, with their sure. children, with their career. Um, but we just haven't known. I mean, yeah, yeah. Falling, falling into this work in the 60s seems a long time ago, but in the grand scheme of things, it's actually not that far. No, away. for sure. I mean, I even think about, you know, my parents who separated, you know, and so, and I didn't understand this. I was brought up by a single mum. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad left my mom when she was seven and a half months pregnant with me. Oh. And so he was a serial cheat and in and out, and then that was him. So he kind of left, and my mum did an amazing job of raising my sister and I. And so throughout my whole life, I was brought up a very independent, strong woman who didn't need a man. Yeah. So I wore that as a real badge of honour because never did I get my heart broken. Mm -mm. But what I realized was over the last few years, never did I really feel safe to let someone fully in. Now, I believed on this level that I did, mm-hmm. but I did not. Because all the, the pattern that would happen with me in relationships is that a few years in, maybe two years in, I would start to be like, oh, no, I, I don't know. Something doesn't feel quite right, right. here. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just going to like, I'm starting to check out. But my conditioning also from my mom was you know you you, you've got a good partner you know stay with them you know make it work (laughs) so it was like so conflicting like my part of me wanted to run yeah the other part was like oh you're so like you just like what's wrong with you why can't you settle and so on but 
I never really understood it until I did this work. And my goodness, like, and when we talk about trauma and everyone having a level of trauma, people will listen to this, especially here in the UK and in Scotland. (laughs) They would say trauma is something like huge and really, really painful that's happened to them. So, you know, there, there is real pain and, and and trauma that people can experience, right? So they wouldn't they wouldn't think automatically, and I certainly didn't think I had ever experienced trauma ever. So mm-hmm. I was like, well, you know, who am I to ever say that? You know, oh, I feel a bit strange. You know, why why does things like this happen to me? I had <laughs> real shame around that. You know, yeah. so silently, and I think there is thousands, maybe millions of people that also think the same that. Who are they to to complain? You know, you should be so grateful. And Mm -hmm. so what happens is we're so conditioned and programmed to live how we're taught to live. And our parents were taught to live by their parents and their standards and, you know, what society tells us to do. So when we don't fully feel that in our body, it's like, well, there's something wrong with me. And then I feel shame Mm -hmm. that there's something wrong with me. So I'm just going to pretend and try and convince myself that all is good in my life because yes. you know I don't want to complain. And then then we get things like real illness, you know? Yep. And totally. from cancer, from cancer to heart you know disease. heart disease and um, to physical pain, auto yeah. autoimmune, autoimmune is autoimmune another one. Big, right? Big one. Uh-huh. No, it's true. And you know, I actually think that over the over the next couple of years, I might start changing my languaging to still use the word trauma, but use the word nervous. I still use the word nervous system a lot, but because you're right, people are like, well, my, I wasn't in war like my parents. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't beaten or abused. Um, Yes, there was a little tension in the family, but there wasn't anything traumatic, but, but what was happening if let's say, like you said, with your single mother, you know, and she taught you well to, to, to take care of yourself and be independent and all that sort of stuff. So there's bonuses to that, but your nervous system is the one that's paying the price. What you said about your heart staying, you know, you probably had to close your heart down to stay protected, which then closes you down from also feeling your physiology and your immune system and all the things that the blood flow that you, that we, I believe, if we can listen to and get to know, we can sense when something minor actually is bigger than it is. Yeah. What was when you were talking? I was thinking about. Um, I mentioned to you before we we recorded. My first husband um, was from nor- from Northern England, and he lived in Scotland for quite a while. And one of his things that I thought was so interesting was, I don't remember the age, but when he was like before a teenager, he had to decide what his career was going to be. Oh yeah. You have to decide it like 15 years old. It was crazy. And I'm like, what? And he goes, no, well, I wasn't good in school. Mm -hmm. And so because I wasn't good in school, um, my mother said, well, you have to choose a trade. What is it going to be? And so he, I don't know if that was his decision, but he decided to do welding, become a welder. Mm -hmm. And his brother was better at school, better at school. Mm -hmm. And so he continued in school 
and went to university, but my ex didn't. And yet he was brilliant with like, he, he was very, it wasn't that he wasn't smart, but he was told and fed this lie that he wasn't smart. And so he had to work with his hands. Mm -hmm. And of course he had a job that, that paid very well eventually, but it, it, that carried with him. Of course. Forever. And And it does. Yeah. And so because of that, I'm like, wow, you know, we don't realize a person wouldn't realize, well, my mother, you know, and he did, he had loving family, you know, there's food on the table. They were good middle class, you know, both teachers, all these things. There was no like trauma in the household. (laughs) Yeah. His natural energy and life force energy was just smashed so, so early in life. Not good enough. Mm -mm. Not Not good good enough. enough. Yeah. Not good enough. Hey, Jill, can you just hold on one second? There's something on my stove that never got turned up. Two seconds. I can hear it bubbling. There was a pot of broth on. Oh, that no. I forgot to turn off. Nothing's burned, but I could. It was like sizzling. <laughs> You're like shit. Okay. I'm like, oh, what's that? Anyway, we were saying that story not good enough. That story is. It still breaks my heart because I know that maybe part of part of the the reason things didn't work with us. It's not because he was a bad person. There was just this lack of confidence that I could see and I wanted to have shift, but it was so deep and I was shifting in my learning and, you know, getting into this SE work. And I just was, and I, honestly, it was, I think it wasn't until I went to the homeland back to the UK and I sort of saw the patterns in a lot of the people mm-hmm. there of that, this is how I am. This is what we do. And I'm not, and it's like this in Canada too, you know? Yeah, but there is a history. law. There's a law. And I I, go, I I just know that when people are listening to this and I talk about this a lot, that belief that, that, that people take on that belief, not good enough. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, when I was at school, you know, in the 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. it was very much your academic or, you're just not very smart and you should just yeah. leave at 15, 16. That's and so crazy. we take on that belief. And, you know, I know that times are changing, but it was, it's that control and it's that story that is fed to you. Um, and, and the thing is, you know, we were talking about um, how it's carried through us. And I have been doing a lot around, um, you know, um, soul work and yep. um, really things that are passed through us. through our parents and so you know for example my mum would have experienced a traumatic experience at seven months you know and then going on to have a baby on her own and a two-year-old and back in the you know that was 1980 so back Mm. then I remember you know people saying to my mum like the people saying you know maybe you should give her up for adoption and because being a single mum was really there was it was quite looked down it's unfavorable on. yeah it's very unfavorable for the mm-hmm. women especially like mm-hmm. she's the one that's saying I'm here you know but she's the one that's almost so again that 
the, the difference that's made between men and women then that was like, well, you know, your man's gone now, like you can't cope. So let's just like get rid of your children, like put them in for adoption or whatever. But I remember my mom like working three jobs and I never, I mean, my mom never, ever spoke badly about my dad once, but oh, I know she did so well, That's so, well. so well. <laughs> um, never one thing, never one thing did she say. I figured it out myself, you know, as mm-hmm. when he never showed and so on. But I, I, I really do, as I've done this research, I did understand that that trauma is not only passed on from what you experience as a child, it, it can be in the womb. Like it can yes. be as early as the womb. Yes. Yes. Well, think about it. If I mean, this is this is the part that's so interesting. And I think, thank goodness, we're starting to acknowledge this even at the medical world. I think yeah. it's still far off. But you know, you're you're inside your mother mm-hmm. cooking up, growing, you're getting all of her chemicals, good and bad. And so you know, a real simple example is she experiences something that's highly stressful, like losing a husband, whether it's through divorce or death even, Mm -hmm. um, or uh, maybe a parent dies tragically, or um, she loses a job, or you're still with husband or, or partner and they lose a job, and then you're stressed for money. There's all sorts of reasons. Or she has an accident, you know, car accident. That happens, obviously. And so that little one inside is feeling all the stress chemicals, the adrenaline, the cortisol. And and to paint a picture, you know, the, the, the child is connected by that umbilical cord, right? And when it gets a dose of this stress, it also has a fight flight reaction, which is to pull away mm-hmm. and to try to get away from that because what's coming through is toxic. It would be the same for a mother that is smoking or have, or is heavily drinking or is taking medications that are very toxic. And so that um, little one growing in there is essentially, there's a term we use in a somatic experiencing called inescapable attack. Mm. And we often use that term inescapable attack for someone who's being held down during a surgery, physical attack, sexual attack, or is being imprisoned, you know, or um, is being pinned down by a natural disaster that's occurring or a car accident where they can't break free and and flee. But that little one inside, it really can't break free. And my hunch, and of course, I don't have any scientific studies to back this up, but I think our intuition is pretty strong on these things. Um, I think there's a reason why a lot of children come premature and also don't survive yeah. because it's just that we we always say it's not viable. It's not a viable pregnancy. It ended at miscarried. And there's a reason for that. And again, usually my sense is, is there is something very stressful going on and those, that little one inside, whether you want to call it a cell cells or a child or a fetus, it knows that something's not right. Mm. Right. And it can't sustain with this level of stress because even mental stress creates physical, physical stress, mm. right? We can psychosomatically be worried about something, even though there's nothing going on, 
But if we, as the mother, we're carrying ancestral trauma and that, that worry, that um, underlying, we call it survival stress in the physiology is still pumping out chemicals, even though there's no real threat there. Yeah, for sure. And I, I honestly, as you're speaking, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about how many people will listen and think, well, how do I stop being stressed? Because mm-hmm. we don't want to feel like that, but how do we feel like that? And I, I want to get your thoughts on this. Mine mm-hmm. is that we need to get to know ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like we're so f- outward focused on and attached yeah. to, to people, situations and things that we yeah. actually don't really know ourselves. Mm-hmm. And actually when we can, and, and going back to the breath work, this the quickest, simple way, which everyone can do, everyone can breathe. We're not saying you need to just jump in and do some somatic work, but you can breathe, you can pause for even yeah. just, you know, 90 seconds, two minutes every day and really practice connecting into the heart space and really tuning into the body because you will start to really get to know yourself because not only will you, you get to know yourself, you'll get really present. Like you'll get really, start to get really present and insight starts to come when we're really grounded and centered and, and present. Mm-hmm. And, and you'll, you will start to see and feel and get curious. You'll just start to open up a little bit more, but it has to start with getting to know yourself. In my opinion, Irene, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, no, you know, there's so many there's a spectrum when, mm. when, when we start, because you, um, when you started the work, you, my senses, you were successful in your work. It sounds like you have, um, a husband, you, you had kids already, um, obviously a roof over your head, money in the bank, all those things that we kind of need at this point in life to survive. So you had a level of capacity Jill, before you started the work, Mm -hmm. which is why for you stopping and listening to the breath and closing the eyes and grounding was an a good entry point into feeling yourself. So Mm -hmm. for some people, that's a hundred percent. And it's just like uh, yoga, for example, or some Mm -hmm. form of movement practice or Tai Chi or Qigong that can be enough for a lot of people Mm -hmm. to, to get into the body. But then there's a, there is a, there is, a spectrum of folk who, if you ask them to listen to their breath and close their eyes, their system goes into more alert. Yeah. Their system goes into more um, panic or, the, or, or shut down. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that that system can't gain the capacity to finally one day feel breath and like it. But if we think about that example of say, um, uh, a developmental trauma and utero trauma where there's that stress or birth trauma, really anything that happens that's intense where the child thinks, not thinks, but senses I might die. So they're not thinking that at age one or two or three or, or two months or in utero, all they're feeling is the body. Yeah. That's why the somatic stuff is so important. So they're sensing in their cells, danger, danger, danger. It's like, you know, when a a toxic, noxious gas comes into the room Mm -hmm. and you you can just tell something's not right. Like, what is that? And you alert your brain. 
right? Alerts to that, that smell danger. And you seek out the source, you know, maybe like for me, just now I had to turn off my stove. It wasn't toxic. I was starting to smell the stock starting to burn a little bit, but I knew something was off. Do you think about that little child that is either in utero or is in a home life that is really, really scary? Maybe they are being abused. Maybe the parents are fighting. Maybe they're in a war-torn country and parents are so afraid that little one feels panic and fear and they become one of two things, either very hypervigilant, mm-hmm. fight, flight, like stress, armoring, like I'm going to protect and nothing is, I'm not going to cry. I'm going to be completely stoic, even though they're not thinking it, the physiology armors itself. Mm-hmm. So that's one um, scenario. The other would be the intensity on the outside is so so much and too much that that little system, that nervous system collapses. It goes limp. It stops trying to fight. It goes into what we would call collapse. And that, that um, physiology, Jill, is very indicative of folks who end up getting quite chronically ill later in life. So fibromyalgia, autoimmune, uh, depression, severe anxiety, panic, chemical sensitivities, things that um, just make someone really, really, they struggle to to survive and live. So the reason I'm saying that is because the breath can work, but if someone goes into that and it panics them or triggers triggers something, yeah, it triggers something. It's like, okay, that's great to know. Now we have to go to a different level. Um, so interesting because thinking about then, as you're saying, if it was a child that was abused, for example, yeah. um, then actually going into silence and connecting to the breath can be a real trigger of this something happened when I went quiet or something it. happened. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, 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 it reminds the body of that, that stillness and feeling the breath change. And often, like, let's just say you're an adult and you go to a breath class. And I've heard these stories many, many times or a meditation Mm -hmm. retreat, which is quite popular these days. And a person goes in and they are very keen and very gung-ho. And then they go to do the first day and they can't. Like they feel like their skin is crawling or they can't stay awake. And it's not because they're tired. It's because their body is going into shutdown or they have flashbacks like really quickly. And so part of healing is actually if we formed memories around those traumas, we actually want to remember the scary thing that happened to us. Mm -hmm. But if it's under the age of kind of five-ish, four-ish, like we start to form memories around four or five, people are a little different depending on just the, their constitutions. Um, but if, if it's under the age of where we're not forming with what's called declarative memory, I'm getting a bit more advanced here, but where I can say I was at the park, I fell off the swing and I bumped my head and I cried and nobody was there. Yeah. My mother was off getting a coffee at the coffee cart or whatever. And I felt so alone. 
I could work with that memory declaratively, seeing the grass, feeling the pain, but it's very different than um, being left to cry yourself to sleep at age two months. You, you don't remember that. You don't remember wailing, wondering yeah. where your caregiver is. All you know is terror. And then if nobody comes, you shut down and you go to sleep, but you're going to sleep at a high level of stress. Mm. And so this starts to play in with things like, um, I'm kind of jumping all over, but I want your audience to hear some of the subtleties is a lot of people who have early traumas that they don't know they have. They will say, yeah, I, I wake up in the middle of the night in panic for no reason. Or I'll walk into an elevator or I'll walk onto a plane or I'll be in a train and I have no history of being in a plane crash, a train crash or a car accident. But all of a sudden I panic and I have to get out and I can't breathe. Yeah. And so these, mm, these, these experiences as adults can trigger unsafety, mm. but it has nothing to do because a lot of times people are like, well, Maybe I had a car accident when I was young and I don't remember. And often it's not the case. It's, 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 it's a similarity to something earlier where you felt trapped. Mm. Does that make sense? For, oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay, this, this makes perfect sense to me. And, and I want to ask you about when you're talking about, cause you know, for example, if you're, you are taking someone in to do maybe some inner child work and then there's some somatic work around. See, we use the incident of the the park where they fell off the swing and, and mm -hmm. then you can go in and, and you know, bring in that safety and move it, you know. So there's different parts, right? So if we're talking yep. about bringing in safety and that nurturing side, but almost moving the trauma through the body um, and physically out of the body, and. Mm -hmm. um, how would you then identify and, and almost navigate somatic work through someone that doesn't know why they're having these things? Maybe it was this, maybe it's past life. How do you go in then? Because there will be people that listen to this and think, well, gotcha, yeah, yeah. that's me, Irene. I don't know why I'm like that. So how, how can I get help? So how mm -hmm. would someone get come for help for that? Mm -hmm. So what I've done, because... You're, that's a great question, right? So when I was in private practice, um, I would work with someone at a very, very subtle, we call it, I call it stress organ level. So if I was working with someone one-on-one, -on -one, we might do some body work that isn't manipulative, but is very gentle and touch-based, but it's not craniosacral. It's not osteopathic. It's not even energetic. <clears throat> it's working with the intention of talking to the organs. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. actually saying to them, not necessarily out loud, but in the mind, in my uh -huh. mind, in my energy, you're okay. Mm-hmm. But you yeah. also might, and it depends on the person, right? So no, like, please, those listen, this is not exactly what you would do verbatim. It depends on the person. It, it might be something like, holy cow, you, you as a little one had so much stress. You poor little thing. Like you are, you are, you thought you were going to die for the first five years of your life, right? 
This is very common with kids that had like multiple surgeries when they were young, which is actually quite common. Um, birth defects, spinal deformities, all these sorts of things. And you just, you, you put this intention almost in the same way that you would if you were holding a child that just had an accident. You know, if they if they have an accident, unless, of course, you're having to do like CPR or first aid, you hold them and you don't try to change them. You just attune to them and listen and let them sob. Yeah. And you you give you're not you're not harsh with them, but you're not loosey goosey with them and not giving them that support. But it has to change based on the child. Right. Mm-hmm. You have two children, I think. I'm sure your your kids respond differently because they're different people. They're so different. And actually, as I've learned (laughs) this work, I am a different parent than I was four years ago. You will be because you're attuning. And so the way that I would have worked with someone one-on-one is that inquiry of what does this person need? What do they look like in their physiology? And we might not do touch work, Jill. It might we might just sit in two chairs, and it's not talk therapy, but it's just having relational connection and having them notice things in their body, having them notice yeah. things in the environment. Um, I'm not in private practice anymore, and what I found was that while the work one-on-one is very powerful, if you can find someone, there are not enough of us. <clears throat> in the world to do this with all the people who need this I know, work. Oh, I know. And so what I did <clears throat> is I created um, exercises and audio lessons and video trainings yeah. um, through my courses, which is, of course, how I make my living now, um, teaching people who, of course, want to do the work and have the gumption to take it on themselves and self-study about their nervous system, about mm. their physiology, um, deep, deep level learning, not just this is the parasympathetic, this is like deep learning into that. Doing the work. Um, doing the work and then um, teaching people how to connect to the body through touch, through uh, attention, through intention, through connecting with the environment, working with the stress organs, working with gentle movement, but always threading back the main theme, which is this is we're working at this nervous system level. We're working at it's like this constant reminder. It's like you're building a quilt, right? You've got to start with the little pieces, but eventually it becomes big and big. And so to, to go back to your that question, how does someone work with this when they know they have no memory, but they know they're really screwed up when it comes to panic or physical symptoms or migraine headaches or anxiety or depression. Um, Each person is going to take a different path. But from my experimentation with my students, um, and we've worked with people from over 90 countries so far, lots of people, there is an, I like to say an algorithm, if you will, Mm -hmm. There are variables that when a person starts to practice and have in place, they start to build foundational capacity to be with their system, to start to open it up in a gentle titrated way. So it's not too overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And as they start to open up and feel and sense and connect to their biology, but also understand theoretically what's happening they start to be able to be with these intense fears, terrors, horrors, 
as they come up and they're, and, and they feel them and there might never be a memory Jill mm-hmm. because there was never a memory formed because the brain wasn't formed that way. But what they get good at is feeling that somatic experience. Yeah. We don't need that. We know. And that's it. I, I love that you said that because we don't need a story around it all the time. <clears throat> that's the mind that wants to create yeah. a story around it. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. It can help to Sometimes get it into helps. it. It yeah. can help if, if we know what the story is, but we don't want to live in the story. The whole point of this work is to move it through your body, right? Mm. And and not to keep going back to the story and back to the story and back. Because if sometimes if we know the story, we keep going back to it. <clears throat> because actually, um, it. Yeah. yeah, because actually when we feel it and move it through our system, it doesn't actually, if we allow our body to do its work, it doesn't actually take that long. It's the story that we keep going back to that we repeat, repeat, repeat. And that's why so many of us live in the trauma because the story around it, not actually the, the, the navigation of the, the trauma through shouldn't really take that long. You know, yes, you're, you're bang on. And there's a great saying from Moshe Feldenkrais we return to our vomit like a dog, mm. <laughs> right? Like that's pretty visceral, yeah. but going back to this, this stuff that has come out, like we don't need to. And <laughs> so, I think it's the attachment again. It's the fact yeah. that we're so attached rather than, and I didn't even realize how attached I was to even yeah my family who I love dearly, but the attachment there, I mean, if, if you ask my sister or my mm-hmm. mom or you, know, whoever, they would say I was, I wasn't attached, mm-hmm. but, I, but I am. And I was, and I had to really work on being really connected, but not attached because when and we're that, attached to people, even the people that we love and, and it's very natural to, to, to that way when, when we love people, but again, we are, we get so hooked into their story and often we can live our lives pleasing them or not fully living our truth because of Mm. the fear of how they will react. That's a huge one. Um, And I have, I will be very honest in that the people that I see who don't heal tend to be the ones who a um, have family systems that they just can't break away from that are toxic. And for whatever reason, they are still trying to please usually the parents. Sometimes it's an older sibling, but usually it's the parents that are still alive, um, to the, to their death almost like, Mm -hmm. and, and, and then the other one would be folks whom, can't get under that thinking, can't get under that meat. Like they're, they're trying to think it through and why that is, I'm not sure. So sure, you know, it, it varies, but very strong willed minds that, that are important in some instances, but what you said about how, if we just left the thinking out of it and could just be with the body, it sounds simple. It's not because we, because we have this higher brain and this is like the human conundrum is we have this higher brain 
that is so powerful and is unique to us on this planet earth. And, um, it look at how we can talk across an ocean, you know, it's insane. We've created so much cool stuff, but that powerhouse is also stopping us from healing, not just our own individual stuff, but the ancestral stuff that keeps mm. us getting into wars and division and all these things. So it is, it's even, even with the stuff I know, I'm still human. You know, I, well, when I yeah. have a symptom if I have a symptom come up, there is, yeah, I'm better now, but you know, the little worry comes in and then I'm like, no, you're fine. You know, of course, if I break my leg, then I'm not going to just feel that and hope it heals. You know, I'm going to go to the hospital and do what I need to do. But for most of the things that plague us in the Western world, they're diseases of culture, they're diseases mm -hmm. of conditioning. We've been in we've been caged in what society feels we need. And if we try to question it, we're like, you know, burn them at the stake kind of thing. Well, you that's know? what happened though, didn't it? I mean, literally people did were burned, burned at, at the stake, stake for <laughs> talking the way we are talking. And healing and, and, healing and, and wanting natural healing. Wow. It's you know, it's, it's so funny. I have to share. I've I love the the Hollywood show Outlander. I don't know if you know what. Oh well, yeah, is. the Scottish one. It's very Scottish. You know, the seventeen hundreds. It involves time travel. But there's yeah. a scene. There's a scene in it where these two women, one of the leading ladies and second lead lady, they're about to be killed for practicing um, black magic and and witchcraft, and yet. Um, the people in the audience who were watching the trial, the witch trial, um, were saying that one of the reasons why one of them should have been should be killed is because she took a baby off of a tree that was there so that the fairies could take it. That's so wild. And so, and I don't know how much truth is into that, but I'm like, so let me get this straight. They're trying to to kill her because she healed a boy with natural herbs mm. and could figure out what was wrong with him. Whereas they thought he was possessed by a demon, <laughs> you know, yeah. And, yeah. and, and it just, it's, so it's just, you kind of look at this and you're like, Oh, this is really strange, but that's the level. I mean, that still carries out. Of course it does. Right? Of course. Because actually, as you're speaking out, I, I believe every one of us have access to heal. But it's it's the mind that's that's you know and the conditions and, and everything that you know, of course that stops us. But we all we all I believe have access to go in and and when I said about getting to know yourself, mm -hmm. like it's painful. And I'm not saying this work is easy. <laughs> it's like oh yeah, so just get to know yourself, do a couple of deep breaths, yeah. and yeah. you know have a little shake and make some sound and maybe have a little exorcism. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what it is, and and sometimes you know because parts of the ego and the the identification of your current world and what you've always known will hold on for dear life, like yeah. literally hold on, and it can feel like what is just what is happening to me right now, and 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 it, it's like you're at that moment where you have that you know that's that fork in the road where you say right I'm going to just just almost almost go into this pain yeah and and, and surrender to yes. it um 
or you can just go back, but it will keep coming back. It will yeah. it never leaves. It never really leaves. Time doesn't heal this stuff. It's not like if you get a cut or a burn and eventually your immune system, mm-hmm. you know, heals it, it scabs and maybe you have a scar, but eventually the scar actually also goes away. This is stuff that does not heal with time. Mm-hmm. It, it actually, I can, I can honestly say that it does not heal with time, but it can be healed when you understand the depths of this mind, wherever it lives, our yeah. brain, our biology, our environment. Um, and the different it, layers as well of our being, you know, your, your, your physical, your sexual, your emotional, there's so many, you know, there's so many, these layers that actually we can go in and start to understand them but Mm -hmm. for me I'm like why why was I so resistant to do it before and it it wasn't that I guess I was so resistant I just didn't understand it you know it's a pill for an ill right take some tablets yeah um but wow I have seen some amazing transformations and breakthroughs from people doing this work yeah I've I've had it myself and I, I like when you said there's not enough people doing it so you created your courses to to reach mm-hmm. people we all have access to this you know mm-hmm. but actually just understanding that we're not broken you know we're not broken we're not if you're sitting if a person is here listening to this you're alive and you've survived whatever it is and you're not broken the the wiring might need a little help mm right? Like it, it might need a little help to rejig some yeah, things sure. and shift some things and patterns and habits. And, but no, it, it you know, the, the one thing I'll say, cause I like to be complete is that there are some folks who are born into complete neglect. Yeah. And when I mean neglect, I don't mean alcoholic parents and being beaten. I mean like put in cages and left. Yeah. And when they find these children at age five, three, you can't recover from that. Mm. And, and Bruce Perry actually is an American psychiatrist and MD. He talks about this in a lot of his books because he's the specialist that got brought in when there's a disaster with children who have been really mistreated and what to do with them. Mm. Um, and this was the case with a lot of the orphanages in Eastern Europe, I think post-war, Um, just so much neglect. So, you know, interestingly enough, even when you had a really shitty upbringing where maybe there was intense abuse and all this stuff, but if you had some food, you actually went to school and you had a bed that you slept in. I know that seems a little drastic, but you had, you're in, you're here and you know how to cook food and bathe yourself and have a conversation and, and work a computer and read a book, if you fit those really basic parameters, you can do this healing, hands down. Mm -hmm. But what stops people is the conditioning and the fear. And part of the work is being able to build the capacity, Jill, so that you can feel the fear and all the bad stuff without getting more afraid. Yeah. That makes sense? Oh, 100%. I guess when we're doing this work, Irene, that's where we do it. We don't just go full on. No, you've got to, it's, you've got to go slow. The analogy I often give is you couldn't take someone who's never um, run up a a flight of stairs and put them at the top of Everest and tell them to start climbing. Mm. 
right? It would, they would die, mm-hmm. right? So just like learning how to maybe become better at physical fitness, yeah, for sure. You, you can't go run a marathon on the first day. You have to start walking. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. And that's why it's, if you are looking to do some, you know, somatic work or you, it's making sure that you work with someone who is a professional, who is experienced in mm-hmm. this work, because they will know how much you can do, you know, um, and, and that's that's really, really important that mm-hmm. you feel safe and mm-hmm. it's enough so that each time you do build it up. Um, but this work, Irene, it doesn't need to be years and years of doing this work, right? It can be. I'll be honest. It depends mm. on your history. It depends on your history. It depends on your environment, your age, um, your willingness, mm. you know, your dog godness. You know, like it's, uh, some of my clients in their 70s do better than some people in the 20s. And sometimes it's reversed. It really depends on the person. Yeah. Um, but what I do know is that when a person begins, as soon as they feel the impulse, and they start and they just do a little bit each day. They read a little bit. They watch one of my videos. Maybe maybe they do a little bit of um, body work with themselves. Mm-hmm. Maybe they find a practitioner. The one thing I will correct you on, Jill, when you said that the person has to feel safe with a practitioner. Mm-hmm. If you have that early trauma from like in utero, early developmental, you will not feel safe. Mm, yeah but what you what you have to you you the goal is to build safety which trust me you can build but if your environment was not safe growing up that therapist isn't necessarily going to feel safe but what you have to do is you have to really enjoy the person you have to like you have to like you have to like them you know maybe you like their sense of humor or the way they dress Mm -hmm. or you think they're off but there's something about them that something you maybe there's a connection yeah you're absolutely right and it was good to correct that because if I'm thinking about when I've done it did I feel safe in the experience no no but I before I'm like I like her I feel safe as in she's the one to take me through this journey yeah but when I was in it I and even I've done it a number of times at points thinking and saying the words I don't feel safe so clearly I didn't feel safe when I was doing it. Yeah. yeah. Safety is a weird word because we kind of throw it around and it's an honest mistake. But I know the other reason I'll find that people don't start is they say, I'm going to wait till I feel more safe to start. And I'm like, don't do that. Because yeah. you'll be waiting forever. You'll be waiting forever. The, the one exception is if, you, if a person is seriously living in a war zone, like real war zone like bombs, military outside of the, you know, outside of their doors, or if they're in a natural disaster zone, then you don't want to start the work because your survival mechanisms are too high. You won't be able to come down. But like I said, if you're living in a home, you have heat, you have running water, you can walk out your road and go for a walk and buy food at the shops. That's enough safety Mm. to start the work. Yeah. I love that. In my opinion. Yeah, no, definitely. For sure, for sure. And hopefully there's many people that are listening to this that think, actually, rather than, and it's not that we're saying don't take medication. No, sometimes it's needed. Yeah, but there's so much that you can actually work through. 
like you're you're amazing your body's powerful right so yeah absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. there's, there's a lot of stories of folks in my programs who started taking various psychiatric meds and had horrific side effects trying to get mm. off of them and get got worse. Um, and when they realize how simple, and I say that with quotes, it could have been to work with their say PTSD or anxiety through the body, they kind of kick themselves. But then I say, but you didn't know, you didn't, you know, know. You didn't, you didn't know, and that's okay. But for those here who haven't yet crossed over and started taking pharmaceuticals, I really urge, like, if you can, and of course, talk to your doctor, but try working with the body and the this the stuff first, because when the system is given the right stuff, it actually can change quite quickly. Yeah. Um, it, it's versus going on something that will change the chemistry, which then you have to recover from if you come off of it. It's yeah. it can be a bit of a mess. Definitely, definitely. I love that. Oh my goodness, Irene, I could actually talk to you for hours. We'll do it again. Oh my goodness, we have to get you back on. This is just Mm -hmm. so, so amazing. Thank you so much. And I'm going to drop all your details, your website, your courses, everything in the show notes, um, because I know that so many people will want to get in touch. But thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. Good to meet you. 